0: Now, last week, Pastor Becky preached on the story of forgiveness. See, forgiveness is a lot more than just um, something that we do. It's tied to our relationship with God. As Christians, we hear about the parable of the unforgiving servant that Jesus gives when asked, how often should I forgive? At least seven times? And before Peter asked that, Jesus told his disciples how to interact with each other, that if someone sins against you, go and speak to them one-on-one and work toward reconciliation. Well, the method for reconciliation, when you've been wronged, is the practice of forgiveness. But it's more than than just the practice of going and saying forgiveness. There's a motivation behind it that comes to us, and that motivation is called costly grace. This is a term— that was coined by this man. For those of you who don't know, this is a picture of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a Lutheran pastor, theologian, um, and uh, um, pacifist, but also an activist uh, against Nazi Germany in Germany at the time of the rise of the Third Reich. In fact, he started a a pirate radio station as well as a, a seminary that was separate from the German church and even a church that was that was basically the confessing church in exile. He, he traveled to the United States, he traveled to, to England, uh, and ultimately he was working with the Secret Service of Germany and basically their version of the CIA to overturn the rule of, of the Nazis. He ended up being caught and was martyred in one of the... Um, uh, one of the Oh gosh, what are they called? The camps, one of the concentration camps uh, during um, the Holocaust uh, and ended up being martyred there. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, coined the term costly grace as compared to something called cheap grace. But what is costly grace? A better way to understand it, I think, is summed up by the Reverend Dr. Uh, Robbie F. Castleman, who's Professor Emeritus of Biblical Studies from John Brown University, and she sums up what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his book in in one simple statement. I think it's a good one. It says, what is costly grace? Costly grace is, it means that salvation is a free gift of God's grace earned by the work of Jesus Christ alone. So let's go there first. What is grace? Grace is the unmerited, unearned favor of God upon a sinner like you. That's grace. And where does it come from? It's not based on anything you've done. It's based on the work of Jesus Christ. And the work of Jesus Christ alone is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for your sake, in your place, on your behalf, and rising from the grave three days later so that this relationship with God can be opened up upon you. God pours out forgiveness upon a sinner who cannot repay the sins that have been committed against God or neighbor. And so, grace is a free gift of this. And this free gift will cost you everything. Now, how does that work? We're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. But that's what costly graces, and it's compared to something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer coined as cheap grace. Cheap grace is forgiveness without the call to repentance. It's believing in Jesus, dying on the cross, but not believing that you are a sinner who needs your sins forgiven. That's cheap grace. It doesn't do anything. It's just more of an idea. Well, we're going to talk today about the fading of forgiveness in our culture. As um, we have become more and more secular, there's been a rise of a, of a group, according to people who keep track of this stuff, known as the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. And these are folks that don't particularly um, belong to any church or, or affiliate with any religion specifically, they may speak of themselves as being spiritual, but they don't necessarily believe in God or, or follow the tenets of the Bible. The United States, being uh, out of the Judeo-Christian tradition, is, was fundamentally um, influenced by uh, Western philosophy, Greek philosophy, and Judeo-Christian values that we learn from the Bible. And as we become more and more secular, this has been fading, and part of what has been fading is an understanding of forgiveness. In fact, for a lot of people, forgiveness is a problem in our secular culture, and we've seen the evidence of that in the last decade. Around 2015, this famous actress, uh Salma Hayek spoke out about abuse that she had suffered at the hands of Harvey Weinstein. If you all remember the Me Too movement and what happened with that director and or producer and, and the things that happened in Hollywood, many celebrities were speaking out about women, were speaking about the abuses that they experienced. Now, some of the good things that came out of the Me Too movement was seeking justice for wrongs done and hopefully changing people's behavior for the better that... that um, Powerful men were not abusing uh, women. But she wrote uh, in an article in the New York Times called Harvey Weinstein is My Monster Too. She said, Part of the problem for her in coming out and announcing about this when everyone was speaking out against him and the things that he had been doing for years, she said, I had been proud of my capacity for forgiveness. See, rather than speaking out and, and calling justice, she had chosen to just let it go, which everyone can do. Everyone has the right to let things go. In fact, that's a simple way to forgive, especially if it's little things. Little things that, that it's just better just to let it go rather than, than uh, uh, seeking, seeking restitution for the wrong. Like, you know, someone bumps into you on the street. You're not going to, you know, pick a fight with them. You just let it go. It's a small thing. Then she said, though, but when so many women came forward, I realized that the forgiveness that I thought I had, had to, I had to confront my cowardice because my forgiveness was actually cowardice. Now, is she right? Well, it depends on what you understand as forgiveness. See, costly grace speaks to The kind of forgiveness that Pastor Becky preached about last week. It's got multiple dimensions, and one of those is a vertical dimension. Before you can forgive anybody, really, in life, look, for anything, before you can forgive, you have to first recognize and live in that relationship, that vertical relationship with God, that God forgives you, that you, a sinner who deserves no forgiveness, who deserves hell and destruction, are forgiven on account of Jesus Christ. If you've ever been wronged, if you've ever, and I mean really wronged, like like not not just little things, little little offenses, but if you've been abused, if you've been harmed. Before any type of reconciliation can be made, two things have to happen. Justice has to be accounted for, it has to be spoken into, it has to be recognized. And then you can forgive. But before you can do either one of those things, it's living in that relationship that I, a sinner, am forgiven by a Savior. If you have been holding on to something and you want to let it go, it may be that for a season, it may be a day, it may be a week, it may be a month, you may just rest and just say, I'm forgiven in Jesus, I'm forgiven in Jesus, Lord, help me to forgive. Lord, help me to forgive. And that's your prayer. Because when the vertical comes down, as Pastor Becky talked about, it sits here and it percolates Because you, the person, have to forgive yourself for any guilt or shame you're holding on to, but you have to live in the forgiveness that comes from God. Then, and only then, are we empowered to horizontally forgive. And this is a powerful thing for someone who's been abused, because when you are empowered to forgive and you discover forgiveness for someone, it allows you to um, take your power back because it's 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 taking the authority back in the wrong and it's also absorbing and releasing it now this this isn't net, meant to be done without justice justice is the accountability piece and that's what costly grace is about that it's forgiveness that came at a cost and because of that cost i am now free to forgive and i am empowered to forgive Not in a place of weakness, but in a place of authority because my authority comes from Jesus. What Jesus said to his disciples before this is, what you forgive on earth will be forgiven in heaven. When you remove that vertical piece, when you take God out of the the picture, what you get is forgiveness as it's misunderstood today. And there are three common models that we talk about in our culture about forgiveness. But understand, this is forgiveness without God in the picture. So remove God, remove that vertical relationship and what do you get? The first one is kind of what Selma Hayek was talking about, the pressure to just forgive and forget. You ever heard that? Oh, just forgive them. Just forgive and forget. Yeah, I know, I know they hurt you but you just, you need to forgive them. First of all, this phrase: it ain't in the Bible, just so you know. Nowhere does God say "forgive and forget." Nowhere. In fact, if you can forget, chances are you have amnesia. When you've been really wronged, it's hard to forget. The only person who forgets in the Bible is God when he says, "I will forgive their iniquity," in, John, in Jeremiah 31:34, "I will forgive their iniquity." And remember their sin no more. Remember their sin no more is a choice. It's not a result. Okay? So forget is not something that I forgave them and I'm never going to remember it again. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You ever heard that phrase before? It's how we learn. If you've been wronged in some way, it's how we learn to, to, I don't want to get in that situation again. So this phrase, forgive and forget, is a misnomer. It's not biblical. Just forgive and forget is also not forgiveness. What this is, is a call to say, I don't want to deal with your problems. Just let it go. Let it slide. Whatever it may be. Like I said, little things, yes, we should do that. But as Christians, we also need to know when to keep people accountable by calling it out. Reconciliation only happens when there is justice, a calling out of a wrong, and forgiveness. Then reconciliation becomes a possibility, or it doesn't. But justice and forgiveness is how Christians are called to engage with the world. Even Jesus, when he said, If someone strikes you on the left cheek, turn the other one, or strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other one also, he shows us what this looks like when he's arrested and he's being beaten by soldiers. And Jesus turns to them and looks right at them and says, For what crime, for what words, for what action are you striking me? That's seeking justice. That's accountability. This is basically saying um, just take it. Take the abuse, overlook it, forget about it. This is not forgiveness. Because there is no accountability to the abuser. It leaves abuse and abuser, the abuse and the abuser, in the same power structure. That's not Christian forgiveness. Christian forgiveness empowers you to release because of what God has done for you. This is known as cheap grace or blind forgiveness. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer is warning about It's it's treating grace as something cheap. And it allows abusers to continue in a position of power. So make no mistake, if there is forgiveness without an accountability piece, it's not forgiveness. Because you're still suffering under the abuse. Forgiveness happens when you can release it. The second one is the pressure to forgive if they deserve it. Husbands and wives, often you do this to each other. This is not forgiveness either. This is death by a thousand paper cuts. This is where you decide of being in a place of moral judgment when you have been wronged in some way. Maybe it's little things, maybe it's big things. But rather than accountability, it's basically setting up little grace or transaction forgiveness. It reminds me of a time when I was a kid. I can't remember how old I was, but I remember it really well. So mom worked hard all the time. Mom took care of us all the time. She's she's a saint. And I remember um, we were living out in Washington, so I must have been like 11 or 12, and mom had made this big hot dish, and so we came home, and my brother and I ate a little bit of the hot dish, and we didn't like it. And so we were complaining about it, and we were kvetching about it. You ever kvetch? It's where you're very judgmental and we were very judgy. Mom got upset and she left the room and dad, my dad didn't get angry but when, when he did, we listened. And this is one of those times where dad didn't raise his voice but he just said, you know, uh, you boys better go apologize. You better go say you're sorry. Oh, Okay. So we went and knocked on the bedroom door, and Mom let us in, and we came in, and, and me and my brother said, you know, Mom, we're, we're sorry. And you know what she said to us? You should be. <laughs> she wasn't ready to forgive. But the continuance of that is what would be called transactional forgiveness, if they deserve it. If I've gotten enough I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, baby, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If enough penance is carried out, then I can stand in a place of authority and say, all right, I'll forgive you, but you better watch it. That's actually not forgiveness. It's a form of revenge. I get not being able to forgive when you've been harmed, but when it's punishing someone, in order to restore the relationship. That's actually a form of of vengeance rather than biblical forgiveness as we hear about under costly grace. And the third one is like the second, kind of, it's the pressure to never forgive. And the thinking is this, why should someone who's been abused be given the moral burden because forgiveness is just Your moral position. Who are you to tell someone they should forgive or not forgive? That's just your your moral way of looking at things. You should never burden someone who's been wronged as if it's their responsibility to forgive those who've wronged them. This is a very secular worldview that sees forgiveness as a choice and not something greater that does something to the community. And so this kind of grace is basically called no grace, no forgiveness. There is no forgiveness. If you have wronged someone, you are perpetually in a place of restitution. Our culture is moving faster and faster to this way of thinking. And this is not a new way of thinking. It's actually an old way of thinking. It's how the old world used to function, like Rome. Rome did not have a value for forgiveness. Rome's primary value was victory And as long as you were more powerful or had reached a higher level of social status, in that culture, um, the honorable thing is to treat you with praise uh, and anyone who's below you, you can treat like dirt. And there is no forgiveness. There's only transaction at best. And so our culture has been moving in this direction the more secular we become. And where do these models of forgiveness come from? They had to start somewhere. Like I said, our our culture was founded on Greek philosophy and biblical Judeo-Christian values. Well, in the last 100 years, we've moved away from that to a more secular culture, and part of the, the effect of that is what's known as the therapeutic culture. Last 100 years, you could say it started with Freud, but the therapeutic culture is really about You, the individual, and don't get me wrong, therapy is a necessary thing, it is a good thing, and everyone should see a therapist. There are times you need to see a therapist. Uh, There are times that you need to express what's going on, and speaking to a professional or a stranger can be better for you than speaking to friends or a family member. Uh, Because they study these kinds of things. But the downside of a therapy culture is that we become more and more turned in on ourselves, seeking truth, seeking meaning to the world inside of ourselves. It's not about community, it's about the individual. And if I can discover who I am on the inside, then the way I live that out is I expect the culture around me to honor that. Whatever it may be. And so if it's in my best interest, if it helps me to feel better, then by all means forgive. If it doesn't make you feel better, then don't forgive. Forgiveness becomes irrelevant. At best, forgiveness is, is little grace, uh, transactional grace, or therapeutic uh, cheap grace. Um, but most likely, no grace is just as fine too under a therapy culture. What matters is how you feel. It doesn't matter about what's going on around you or the community as a whole. It's very self-focused in the therapeutic culture. And you know what? It's an outgrowth of the American culture. What is our primary value? Liberty. It's not victory. Rome was big in the community. They just conquered everybody. Liberty. Individuality. Individual value for each and every person is a Christian value. Um, Like I said, in Rome, most of their population were slaves. Individual value was not important. If you had a child and you didn't want a child, you didn't go get an abortion. The baby was just born and then you threw it in the garbage. Christians saw... Every single person, slave or free, to be made in the image of God and then therefore had intrinsic value and worth. And so a practice in the early church was to save, like the first foster parents, was to save babies that had been thrown away and and not wanted. Their parents weren't interested in them. So Christians would take care of them and raise them uh, and save their lives. So therapy p- culture is not about what's going on out there. It's about what's going on in here, and this is ultimate value, and I expect the culture outside to honor it. That leads to what's known as the new shame honor culture. There's been books written about this. Every culture has an honor system. In the ancient world, the honor uh, basically came down to, if you offend me, what it could be the smallest little thing. I have right to come back at you for grievance. Under, Christian, under um, Western culture, we moved away from honor as, as the highest value to dignity, to, to the worth of every single person. However, we are now moving as we get away from uh, the values that God gives that instills value to individual values separate from God, we're now returning to a kind of reverse honor culture that what has been coined cancel culture. Now, what is cancel culture? What is honor culture, the uh, reverse honor culture? You don't receive honor from the community because of how well you serve the community or, or uh, how many good things that you've done. You get honor from the culture by validating all of the um, abuses you've experienced and elevating victimization to a level of... of pride within the community. And so we see this uh, with the rise of social media. Sociologists have been studying this, and and it shows that in social media, if you ever get in an argument with someone online, it can be over the smallest little grievance, just like honor culture— but then it's, well, he said the meanest thing to me, or I'm, I'm this category or that category, so that's extra offensive to me, and not letting anything go, but attacking everyone for anything that you find offensive. And then those who walk alongside, those who are victimized the most, are also lifted up as allies and defenders, and therefore their social status increases within the group as well. If that didn't make sense to you, I encourage you to watch this message afterward or read the book to get a better understanding of this. It's an inverse honor culture where victimization or having the most grievance is the highest level of honor. And the problem with it is that forgiveness is removed entirely. Vengeance becomes the way forward to fix whatever grievance has taken place. But you never move beyond the grievance because it becomes, becomes a part of your identity. Okay? Therapeutic culture and honor culture coming together. Well, what is our culture missing? I don't know about you, but this happens to me more and more, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm showing my age as I'm getting older. I'll watch new TV shows or new movies, and I'll be in it for a while, and like everything is going wrong in a sitcom to this family. And it's just bad or like a movie, things just keep going wrong. And I just think to myself, they really need Jesus. You know who's not in this? Jesus. He's nowhere to be found. They really could use Jesus. You ever watch The Walking Dead? They really could use Jesus. Well, what are we missing in our culture? The vertical dimension of forgiveness. When we have that vertical dimension, forgiveness is not about making me feel better exclusively, it's about being empowered by God to live into the new kingdom and have the power to change the world around me through the strength of forgiveness. Remember, Desmond Tutu a couple weeks ago told us forgiveness and reconciliation is not for sissies. When you have the vertical dimension of forgiveness, it empowers you to take your power back against abusers by releasing them through the power of forgiveness. There's still consequences, because understand, when you've been wronged, sometimes, if it's not little, if it's not a little thing, sometimes it's not just a sin, it's a felony, so we got to keep track of it, but that's where the justice piece comes in. Where there's justice, and then the forgiveness that comes because I'm forgiven, now I can forgive, always begins. Remember, it's that vertical line first. And this can happen quickly, it can take time, it can take days, it can take months, it can even take years of resting in that, God, you forgive me, a sinner. Help me to forgive. Help me to forgive. Help me, not just forgive and forget, just forgive and forget, but help me to take my power back by absorbing and releasing this hurt. That's the power of forgiveness. And it's only where there's justice and forgiveness that a wrongdoer is called out on their wrong and forgiveness where you have the opportunity for reconciliation. This is what we're missing. This is what we're going to be digging into over the rest of the summer. Where this happens, community happens and this is what the church is for. We are here in this place a countercultural Movement known as the church within a wider world that is much much more concerned about grievance, honor, we are concerned about relationship with God and the entire transformation that that brings about. Because where that vertical dimension breaks in upon you, you discover that you are being given everything by this almighty, all-powerful God and yet at the same time, it does cost you everything. That's what grace does. When Jesus breaks in upon you, he gives you everything he is, but he takes from you everything that you are. What does he take? He takes your sin. If you were to define even the best of us, we're all sinners, turned in on ourselves, seeking our own self-celebration, our own self-glorification. Jesus takes our sin upon himself and gives us his righteousness. He takes from you your death. Death does not have the final word where you are concerned. And he gives you his eternal life with God. Which is the, the end point, the telos, the goal, and the existence of complete And total forgiveness and reconciliation. And finally, he takes from you your self celebration, your self glorification, your efforts of trying to be your own God, and puts himself in the place of a loving and caring and true Savior and Lord who cares about you and loves you a thousand times more than you do for yourself. That's what we get. With this grace, it's costly. It costs God everything so that he can give us everything. And it costs us everything so that we can be free of all the burdens, all the ghosts, all the lies of the devil that weigh on us. 1 Peter 3, 9 and 4, 8 through 11 is written by St. Peter to the churches in, in Galatia, where we get the book of Galatians, and Asia, Asia Minor, Bithynia, it's, it's many of the same places, the churches that are in Revelation. And this is a prayer, but it's a prayer that speaks about what forgiveness community looks like, what forgiveness culture looks like, what the church is to look like, because this is a place where we bathe in forgiveness. You came here today, and I hope you came to be forgiven, to hear that promise again, that vertical direction, that I, God, love you so much that I send my son Jesus Christ, your Savior, and on His account, because of what He has done, you are forgiven of all of your sins. I announce to you this day, you are forgiven on account of Jesus Christ. This is who we are to be, and this is a prayer. So understand, this is a prayer for you to God. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. You've been claimed by Christ. You've been called by Christ into a new life, a life that is outside of this uh, forgive-deprived world. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Here's the first way that we learn how to forgive. Sometimes hurts come and it's better just to walk away from them. This is that love part. Love covers a multitude of sins. I mean the little stuff. Uh, Someone cuts you off on the freeway. Don't carry that home with you. Don't put that anger on somebody else. You let that go. Uh, uh, Little bumps and bruises that happen in day-to-day life. Because love covers a multitude of sins. When the effort of love, to love someone, is attacked, there we need to go into accountability. We need to call it out. And learning that is, is a skill. Learn to let the little things go. Learn when to call someone out for the wrong that they've done. If a brother or sister in Christ has sinned against you, you are to go speak to them about that. They may not even know they did anything. And to know when forgiveness is to be given publicly and when forgiveness is to be done without them even asking for forgiveness. Those are all skills that we're going to be learning Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Here's the little stuff again. I think about, like, have you guys ever spent any time with your family? No, nobody, just me? I mean, that's that's a place where little cuts can happen all the time. Well, love each other without grumbling. That's what we're free to do in Christ rather than every little grievance becomes a death match. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. There's that word. Very grace, God supplies. Everything is given by God. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's that vertical relationship that defines your horizontal relationships. God forgives you in Jesus Christ. You are blessed to be a blessing. God bless you. God bless you to forgive. Amen.